Well, uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to uh, really one passage is the one that we're going to look at, James chapter 5. I'm going to speak to you a message called, It's Time. It's Time. Now, uh, uh, sometimes when we hear that, that statement, we hear, it's time, we think, oh no, you know, we get a little anxious. We think, uh, you know, they're calling me back for a root canal. I'm about to go into surgery, you know, and I'm, I'm there in, you know, a, a gown that someone died in last week, you know, and y'all know that's true. And, and we're going back, it's time, and, and so when we're about to go and experience something uh, like, you know, a medical procedure or something, you know, we have this anxiousness about us. But today, I don't want you to think about, you know, okay, uh, just, you know, okay, this is maybe, maybe an indicator of a kind of surgery. I actually want you to think of this like your children think of Christmas morning. It was a recent experience, and so some of you should be familiar with it. See, children know when it's time. They know when it's time, and what is time? What's the right time? For Christmas morning, for a gift to be received. Let me tell you when it's time. Whenever they get up. That's when it's time. They'll let you know when it's time. Most of the time, they're not on your schedule. They just come in, it's time. And what do they do? And they're so excited that it's finally time. Why? Because they get to unwrap something and receive something that has already been prepared for them. And what I want to say to you, church, is we are standing on the edge of heaven's preparation of God's goodness that is simply saying this, it is time for you to lay hold of the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the gifting of God, lay hold of it. It may be dark. It may be early. You'll be like, I don't care. It's time. I've got to unwrap some stuff from God. Receive it. Walk in it. As I, you know, kind of, kind of tra traverse the, the church landscape and see what people are saying, you know, about, you know, the coming year, you know, we, we, we kind of go into prayer about six months out as a staff and we begin to really pray, okay, God, what do you have for the next year? And I, I, I do want to let you kind of know that I do believe an open door has been set before this church. That like never before 2022 for us will be a, a year of the open door. Now, I, I can't give you all of the prophetic implications of that. But what I am here to tell you is that in Revelation, God spoke to a church that said, he said, because you have a little strength and because you have not denied my name, I set before you an open door and no one can shut it. And I, I want to say to you, when, if you knew that God had an open door for you, would you go through it? Would you go through it? See, uh, the, the truth be told is I'm not sure that everybody would go through the open door. Because sometimes open doors, all that gets through is you and the stuff that you've been carrying won't fit. And I, uh, while, while I do believe that this open door is going to actually carry us into our destiny, I do believe some of the things that we've been carrying, we cannot carry into God's next season. 
We cannot carry them into, into the season. Now, open doors mean opportunities. There are opportunities. But when God presents an opportunity, it is not a guarantee. Did you know that? It's not a guarantee. When God sets an open door before you, you know what unlocks the possibilities? It is your yes. It is your will. It is your agreement. We're saying, okay, God, I will walk through the open door. And I want you to understand some things. You know, never, ever doubt God's word. Never doubt God's word. When God makes a promise in his word, you can count on it. Come on, there should be more amens at that point. I don't know if you've ever stood on a word until it came to pass. You ever took radical steps in your life to follow God. I don't know if anybody's ever stepped out in a moment of faith. You sold everything. You did everything. You quit your job. I'm just telling my story. I sold everything. I quit my job. I left the stability. And I said, God, I will follow the wind. And God was faithful. To bring those promises to pass. He always brings promises to pass. What's, what's Isaiah 55 say? It says, it says, so shall my word be. It will not return to me empty or void, but will prosper in the thing that it is sent to do. But listen to me, church. It is important to discern the differences between promises and potential. God will always be faithful to fulfill his promise, but he is not, he is not over, he, he is not bound to help you fulfill your potential. He's not going to make you fulfill your potential. That is unlocked with your will. That's unlocked with your yes to him. When you stand on promises and keep standing and keep persevering. And what, what we learned last week. And we begin to mature. We begin to step in. We let that have its perfect work. It is then that God's grace carries us into potential. He will always fulfill his promise. It's not a guarantee that we will walk in our potential unless we submit our wills to God. Now, I believe God is setting some divine opportunities before this church this year. And I felt like the Lord said, I don't want you to talk about the divine opportunities until... You release the instructions about how the people are to be strengthened so that they can truly lay hold of what I'm setting before them. I said, okay. And I begin to understand that we need to understand that when God gives us a promise, when God gives us a direction, those opportunities, those open doors must be first engaged in in the theater of prayer. Today, I have to take you back to the simplicity, back to the greatest gift ever given to any of us apart from our salvation in Christ, and that is an open door to the throne of grace for timely help. It's the place of prayer. 
And it is time for us to take advantage of the opportunities, but we'll never fulfill our potential until we say yes to the place of prayer. Now, I want to read to you a passage which God laid on my heart um, uh, days ago, confirmed many times. And I, I'm going to walk you through this passage today, which I, I, I think gives uh, some timely insight for all of us about the importance of prayer. Before you think about, man, I'm going to make all the changes. I'm going to make the adjustments, man. I can't wait to, you know, fast, you know, and we're thinking about fasting because we're like, man, I feasted way too much the last two weeks. So this fast is going to help that feast, you know, and I'll be able to find that, 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 that other hole in my belt, you know, See, sometimes we'll even make spiritual things uh, very carnal. Fasting is not about losing weight, even though it happens. Fasting is about gaining a spiritual traction and, and, and a laser-like focus on the Lord so that we truly walk in step with what His Spirit is saying. Let's read James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, all about the theater of prayer. It says this. This is a New Living Translation. It says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. I want to walk you through some of the ideas, and if I were to summarize these few verses, um, uh, it would be summarized in this one thought. In every season... In every condition you ever find yourself in, pray. However, there is within this an idea that Jesus taught on when he taught the Lord's Prayer. Now, I'm going to prove to you that many of you who doubt your scholarly level knowledge of the Bible, I'm going to actually prove to you that you have a capacity for prayer already ingrained within you, that you already know enough about prayer to kind of start you on a journey that could have a significant regional impact. Now, most of us know the Lord's Prayer, probably been prayed uh, thousands and thousands of times. I think it's more accurately called the model prayer. Uh, uh, Jesus uh, gave it to uh, disciples as a model prayer. Not, it wasn't his personal prayer because Jesus never needed to repent of sin. And that's a part of that. So he gave it as a model prayer. But just to prove to you and to yourself and to your neighbors that you are a saint and you know a little bit about the word of God, I want all of us together to say the first word of the Lord's prayer together. It's the first word. And I want you to understand something that when you say this, perhaps a light is going to come. What is the very first word of the Lord's prayer? It is
In the moment that God begins to teach about prayer, the first word is not my. It's our. It is to suggest that we are a body and that there is something of the place of prayer which must be embraced as a family, as a congregation, and as a people that God has drawn together by his own grace. What you need to begin to understand is that the context that we're even going to read from in James chapter 5, which you just understood, is understood from the context of community. And so most of us have always thought prayer to be just similarly a quiet time. I would suggest to you that a lot of the prayer in the Bible was not quiet but spoken because it was recorded. And it was not quiet uh, but it was spoken because it was corporate. So I want, to give these, I want to give you some things from this. I'm going to walk you through some things which are meant to be experienced within community. Listen, in the theater of prayer, which will position us for the open door. First thing it says is, are any of you suffering hardships? Any of you suffering? It says, let him or her Pray. It is given in the context of community. It is saying this. Listen, if you have gone through some tough times, the answer is prayer. The answer is seeking God. Oh, church, if we would get a revelation of this, we would stop pursuing things that could never, ever satisfy Oh, we just if I could just earn a little more money, if I could just go here, if I could just have that car or have this thing, and I promise you that if you're going through hard times, the answer won't be found in something you can collect. It would actually be found in Christ. It's found in Christ. You're going through a hard time. It's time to pray. And people who are experiencing hardships are everywhere. People are facing real troubling times. But oftentimes what we try to do is we simply try to cope. And we embrace coping mechanisms rather than Christ. And he said, listen, the answer to hardships is prayer in community. Then it says this, is anyone cheerful? Come on, can we just secretly say we're kind of mad at those people? Man, and people are always happy. You look at them and you judge them. They're walking around in the joy of the Lord and in your heart. You think, man, if they had been through any of the hardships that I was in in the beginning of this verse, they wouldn't be walking around so cheerful. Or they went through hardship, prayed. And now the joy of the Lord has become their strength. The joy that doesn't have anything to do with circumstance. It doesn't have to do with what's going on in the world. It has everything to do with the manifest presence of God. And it says this, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing Psalms. One, It says, let him sing praises here. I want to let you know what a psalm is. A psalm is a prayer in song. Oh, man, I wish.
wish somebody in the church would get the joy of the Lord. I'm here to tell you that the worship team isn't just the people that you see on the platform. The worship team is supposed to be the people who have the joy of the Lord from the manifest presence of God and they come in to a corporate setting and say, oh, I've got to sing praises because of the joy of the Lord. The joy of his presence in my life. See, some people still haven't figured out worship yet. Here's how I know. Either you are just habitually late and you think to yourself, I can skip the singing or listen, you're focused more on your hardships than the God who could fix it and the God who comes in grace and mercy and kindness and finds you in your brokenness. And you could say, man, this could be going on in the world. But right now, I can't wait to get to the house of God. Because I'm going to sing psalms. I'm going to sing praises. And then out of those moments, listen, it's not going to be, the, the, it's not just the people on the stage that's a worship team. The whole church becomes a worship team. And suddenly, and suddenly God begins to move in the place. And then those who are in hardship suddenly get lifted up by those who are more, more mindful of the manifest presence of God than they are their circumstance. Everybody's going through something. There's just some people who are more of the, aware of the one who is walking with them. Why? Because they have embraced God in the theater of prayer and worship. I'm telling you, God's calling us higher. God's calling us higher. Let's keep going. It says in verse 14... Is any of you, are, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing with you, uh, anointing you in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. Now listen, I know what the whole world has been saying. If you're sick, isolate. <laughs> That works. By the way, if any of you are carrying any bugs with you this morning, you, you should have maybe worshipped online. I'm not telling you that, that Christians need to be, you know, stupid. You're not called to, man, as soon as I walk in the church, I check my brain at the door, I'll pick it up on the way out. No. No, you're wise. But instead of just focusing on, you know, a virus, what about this? What about this? What about when cancer becomes the diagnosis and the voice starts whispering to you, you got this and it's your fault. And you go into a, a spiral and what you hear is what's been propagated everywhere, isolate, isolate. They're not sick because God loves them. You're sick because God doesn't love you. Nonsense. You need to read your Bible. This is read in the context of community. And listen, by the way, 
contrary to what most of you believe, pastors do not get a word of knowledge list of everyone who is sick and in the hospital. And we are not just translated to your homes to come and visit you. And like, oh yeah, I was just in the shower a minute ago and God swept me away to come and pray for you. No, you know who the onus is actually put on here? The sick. It says, let the sick call for the elders of the church. Boy, there would be a revolution of people if somebody started getting diagnosis and said, my, my, my first call was the doctor. I was there. I was getting treatment, getting good advice. But my next call is to the house of God and the community that I am connected to. Why? Because the prayer of faith will heal the sick. It will take you into another dimension. But don't Listen, don't give in to a lie that says, no, real believers never get sick. Then why is this in the Bible? Matter of fact, if you want to keep stepping in it, and I'm likely to, it says that you'll be healed and if they have any sins, it'll be forgiven. I know people don't like to say that sometimes sicknesses are, are, are caused by sin, but evidently, sometimes sin in a believer's life will open a door to sickness that when experienced in community full of grace and life and power and faith, not only will they get the healing they desire to bring them out of the pain they're aware of, they will actually be, uh, there will be a spiritual healing available, a washing and a cleansing that can bring them into spiritual health and physical health. It's all happening in the theater of prayer. Oh, this next one. We really don't like this. I love that Pastor Luke chose the room, the word make room. And we were lost in it. I will make room for you. Please don't read that verse, Pastor Otis. want to keep going it says confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed oh no back in uh, October at a conference I, I, at the conference I spoke a message called unmasked you can actually go and listen to that message the, um, and pretty much as a church we're pretty much unmasked and uh, in one way. But in a spiritual sense, people put on masks every day. And they do it because I have to protect myself from being vulnerable to people. And what did they do? You, 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 you argued all the way to church. Somehow your, your, your arm for those who have children, became elastic and you whipped kids in the third row <laughs> on the way. And you got out of the car and you reached into that spiritual baggage and you pulled out a mask and they, someone greeted you at the door and said, oh, hey, how are you doing? You said, I'm doing great, brother. Hallelujah. How are you? And you put on a mask. Can I just say, 
what the mask actually does spiritually, it prevents you from healing. It doesn't prevent you from being infected. It actually, the spiritual mass prevents you from being healed. We need to create an environment of prayer where people feel safe enough to take their mass off and say, listen, I don't know about you, but I got issues. Can I just confess? I'll get all the healing for all of it. I got some issues. We've all got issues. We've got some things that God is working out in all of us. But we must, in the community that we have, we must come to one another, confess our sins one to another, and what? Pray for one another. When I was studying and readying this, the way the Lord spoke this to me was this. My gravest, the, the, the way the Lord laid it on my heart, let me just say that. I left the presence of God reading this with a grave concern that you think God is okay with your lukewarm living. And he's not. He's not okay with your lukewarm living. But see, we have not been okay with taking the mask off long enough to dip in this endless well of healing that is provided in community. When people of faith say, if you only knew what I came from, you would have no reason to fear taking your mask off. So that when I pray for you and you say, man, truth be told, I put on a face, I serve, I come to church week after week, but my heart is ice cold toward God. Listen, if you take your mask off for a moment and say, I need somebody to pray, that first love would come back, that a fresh fire would come back, a fresh baptism would come back. I find myself avoiding the things of God, not running to the things of God. Those things are healed in community when we get real with each other. You say, I don't know. You say, Pastor, you don't know how I've been hurt at other churches. I don't. But Jesus went to the cross and he was hurt pretty bad. And so what do we do? We look to Jesus and we say, Jesus, help us to see that we're safe enough with a people who pray. You're not safe with people who gossip. You're safe with people who pray to take the mask off. And God says, it's only in that context. There is a healing reserved for the context of community. That is a, that's like reason number 37 why Christians must be a part of a local church, not just worship online. This is meant, all of our, I love everybody watching online. God bless you, everybody who's watching us right now. God bless you. Keep watching, keep engaging. But our goal is not to keep you on your sofa or in your recliner. It is to get you into the community of faith so that you can experience the healing that is reserved for those relationships. I want to call us higher, church. I believe God is calling us into some great things, but we'll 
never be a well of healing to this community if we are not people who can be real with other people. If you're stuck in sin, here's the answer. Pray. But sometimes when you're stuck, this is what this is. You need somebody else to pray for you. All you need to realize is, I'm stuck. You say, I, I, would, would God use me that way to help people come out of spiritual complacency? Would God help? Would, would God empower me? You better believe he will do it if you'll get into community, if you'll embrace the place of prayer. I love this. Since the question marks would arise, since we all feel, man, I feel more like the guy who's stuck than the guy who's free and can pray. I feel like, man, that's, that's the guy I could identify with. But the verse continues, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. You remember Elijah, right? What is he known as in the Old Testament? He's the Elijah the prophet. Elijah, the the one who works in signs and wonders. Do you know how he's referred to here by the Holy Spirit through James? Elijah, the intercessor. It says, before the words of the Lord came, and we, we, we actually, in the context of Elijah's story, we don't even find it in the word where he is praying that it would stop raining. We're not shown his secret place. We see him proclaiming it and it stops raining. I wonder if you understand what it means to be a born again believer full of God's spirit and the effect that you can bring. I wonder. See, we'll never step into what God has called us to as a community. You'll never see the revival and the move of God that God wants to bring in this region unless you understand this verse. Here's what you need to know in your spirit. Elijah was a man just like us with a nature like ours. Questions and God comes to him and says, will you pray? The atmosphere dries up. If he's got a nature like ours, he's probably going, "Um, God, you know that's going to affect me too. He says, yeah, I got a brook for you for a little while. That's going to dry up too. And so he says, says, okay, God, if you want me to pray that a spiritual atmosphere dries up, I trust that you are working. I wonder if God can't find some people at Calvary Church who would be willing to pray some prayers that have a dramatic impact on the atmosphere of this region. I wonder if the things, if there wouldn't be a people who would bow the knee and say, oh God, the things that are making it comfortable for people to cook meth in this community. God, I pray a 
drought on the drugs, a drought on the, on the abuse, a drought on the alcohol, a drought. I pray it dries up. You say, why would you dare pray it? Here's why. Because if a drought comes, what follows behind it is thirst. Thirst. Which is why you need to be here Wednesday night. That's the word. If you, you want to find out why I bring up thirst, you better be here Wednesday. That's the word over 2022. You will understand what God does when a region cries out for God to change the atmosphere. So thirst begins to arise in a people. And so he prays and says, God... We become so thirsty for you that we no longer tolerate Ahab and Jezebel. I don't have time to go there. But then three and a half years later, he says, it's time for rain. It's time because the thirst of the region is crying out to be nourished. Oh, church, I wonder, do you know the power of your prayers to change the atmosphere of this region? If you only knew, you would then walk in hardship and pray. You would come in in moments of joy and you would worship. You would come in and, man, when you feel sick or you get some kind of diagnosis, I'm calling on the church. I'm calling on the elders and I'm going to see miracles happen. I'm going to see it happen. I'm going to get in community and I'm not going to, I'm not going to be fake. I'm not going to pretend like I'm in revival when inwardly I am dead and cold. No way. I'm going to be one that's awakened and alive because somebody's praying for me. And then when I pray, the atmosphere shifts and it sets the stage for a move of God. I know this is kind of uncomfortable preaching for some. You're like, I just wanted to go to church. Several years ago, that used to be an office, and our staff used to meet in there. And I can remember a comment made in our staff after going to one of these retreats or camps. And the comment was this Have you told the people, have you told the young people that when they come back home, They need to go back to normal. God came in that room. And in that moment, I said, a whole generation is going to hell because of normal. Our communities are breaking because of normal. And I wonder if God won't raise up a people who are dissatisfied with normal church. I'm dissatisfied with just services. I want the presence of God. I want the purpose of God. But I know it is unlocked in the place of prayer. I want to finish today just by saying a couple of points to you. You say, how, uh, it's not enough for us to agree with prayer, okay? I think we all agree, yes, prayer is the right thing to do. But you can leave here, agree with prayer, and never go and actually develop a lifestyle of prayer. And the reason you don't is because of the sneaky nature of pride. 
The reason why we don't hear these messages, read these scriptures, and immediately launch into a, 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 a life of prayer is because pride is sneaky. And pride comes and whispers, God's too busy for that little thing. Don't, don't bother him. You can take care of it. Don't. He's too busy with bigger stuff. He's dealing with the Middle East. He, 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 he's not interested in this little stuff. And you know what that is? That's the voice of pride. And I want to say this to you, and I want you to hear it in your spirit. Let it resound a little bit. Let it weigh on you. The highest form of pride is prayerlessness. Because it says to God, no, thank you. I'll take care of it myself. I'll take care of it myself. And church, I'm telling you, I believe the words of Jesus. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. You say, well, I can do something. No, nothing. Nothing of eternal significance. Nothing. There's a verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. It says this, uh, always keep on praying or never stop praying, New Living Translation. Or New King James, pray without ceasing. That verse, by the way, is not to indicate our failures. Anybody ever read 1 Thessalonians 5.17? You hear that one, you know, that really short verse? We know Jesus wept, pray without ceasing. We got all those short verses down, right? You know, pray without ceasing. We know that, but we read that and we, there's like an arrow that kind of pierces the heart because we're like, ah, oh, I don't do that. Instead of seeing it as it is, listen, this verse is not written down so that you become uh, familiar with your failures. This verse is written down so that you understand the invitation to intimacy. It is ongoing night and day, and he says, listen, you can have fellowship unbroken, unbridled night and day. When you're awake and when you're sleeping, you can have fellowship. Anybody ever have a spiritual dream? I have, and I want to tell you, at that moment, that place is the place of what? Prayer. It's fellowship. Should we give ourselves even more in the natural? Yes, but this is an invitation. You see, prayer unlocks the difference between the best I can do and the best God can do. That's why we launch daily prayer. That's why we, every day here at, at 9 a.m. we have a time of worship and prayer every single day. It's the engine room of what's happening here. Now listen, if you're working a job, I understand that you probably have to join us for daily prayer some other time or you know, catch it. I get it. I get it. But if you are retired child of God, and you've been saying, well, I see a revival coming uh, for young people. What about the seniors? I tell you what, we could absolutely fill this place wall to wall with some senior folks, intercessors who say, I'm going to be the 
the, the prayer warriors that unlock a revival for the next generation. I'm going to be in here at 9 a.m. and we're going to call out. And let me just say this. Our calling as a church is to be a well of healing every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Every Wednesday morning, we pray for physical healing and our God is healing people. Our God is moving. And if you have the time and you can be in the house of God at 9 a.m., we want you to be here. If you can join us online, then join us online. Play it at work. I've heard people say, man, I had daily prayer on in the back background. One lady was fixing someone's hair. She was, she was working in the salon, and, and she's working and got daily prayer going and talking about God. And the woman in her salon chair got baptized in the Holy Spirit in daily prayer. Go figure that up. And at the end of this glorious encounter, she took up an offering. Okay, she got paid for doing the woman's hair. Right. Church, I want, you to, I want you to understand something. We are on the edge of some things as a church. We're on the edge of, of God moving in power. We're on the edge of stepping in to greater destiny, greater life, living out God's vision for this place. But we will never walk in the fullness until we as a community embrace God's call to us to fellowship with him and to pray, and to joy, enjoy all of the benefits that come from it. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 is an invitation to intimacy. We as believers, we, what, an, what an awesome thing. If you're here today, and you don't have a relationship with God, I'm telling you today, you need to hear me. The fact that God says, I want to talk to you, and I want you to talk to me, says this. I want a relationship with you. He declared that through sending his own son to die on a cross. He was buried and raised from the dead. And he made a way for us to live in that truth of unbroken, unceasing fellowship. Not through what we do, but through what he did. And then what we do is in response to what he did for us. Believers... January 5th, it's time. It's time. It's time to open the door to the room that's been quarantined from God. To open the door to a fresh level of intimacy, to say, God, I'm not keeping addiction away from you anymore. I want to be healed. I'm not keeping certain things away from you. I want you to move. And on January 5th, I want you to join us in fasting and prayer and seeking for God to move in power in our personal lives, yes, but also through us to this region who needs Jesus.